Blog Talk Radio. Come back home to Africa. Come back home 
Divine All Blessed, you are now listening live and always in archive at your leisure and convenience to the Divine Prince, Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Elagun Oloye, Hudu Obeya Bokur, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African Hudu world spiritualist perspective. Understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing if you can just see beyond the veils, for it is all just an illusion and a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. This is my constant prayer, my mantra, affirmation, reverberation, reiteration, and my ever-living reality. It is crucial to the very foundation of my understanding, my teaching, my walk, my works, my demonstration along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. It is how I, the Divine Prince, make sense out of all that we are challenged with here in our daily existence on Mother, Father, Earth, and it is my personal place of power and understanding, the place from where I begin, the place from where I realize and crystallize all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create and co-create my divine, all-blessed reality. And so it is, I say. Today is Tuesday, December 25th, 2018, and I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you live Virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum, universally from this working temple of the House of the Divine Prince, Thai Potions, Hoodoo Central, Black Hawk Voodoo, in this legendary, historic, beautiful, and most enchanted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana, the land of my ancestors and those who came before me along this spiritualist Hoodoo Obeya life path and journey, passing down the great obeistic along with the knowledge of the healing, life-giving herbs, roots, plants, rituals, spirits, and minerals. I'm humbled and honored when you join me here at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time for the Power Lunch, revolutionary hoodoo, New Orleans voodoo secrets and recipes here on Blog Talk Radio www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the divine print, the hyphen, divine hyphen print, www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the hyphen, divine hyphen print. My live listening and calling number is area code 347215. 8967-347-215-8967. When you are ready with your question, comment, or request, please do press the number one on your telephone keypad, and I will be more than happy to bring you into this conversation. My website, where I can be reached utilizing various means virtually 24 hours a day, seven days a week, is www.houseofw.com houseofthedivineprince.com, and of course, please visit me, 
Denise Augustine and historic Tremay at www.OurSacredStories.com, www.O-U-R-S-A-C-R-E-D-S-T-O-R-I-E-S.com. All is truly and indeed a blessing this 25th of December, 2018. And I want to talk about Slave Christmas. Slave Christmas. I know for many of you, holidays invoke times of celebration and conversation and joy and relaxation and family and friends. But it also invokes memories, triggers memories, and particularly for those of us who are still dealing moment by moment, minute by minute, day by day with post-traumatic slave disorder, we have triggers that associate with holiday seasons that trigger memories, not only of our own and most immediate past, but also our ancestral memories that reach back into a, a further and more distinct past. Solomon Northrup was a free black man in New York who married the love of his life on Christmas Day in 1829. A dozen years later, he was kidnapped into slavery and sold to a Louisiana plantation, an occurrence at the heart of a recent movie we filmed here in New Orleans called 12 Years a Slave. As he soon likely discovered, Christmas marriage ceremony served as a cultural connection between his experience in slavery and his life as a free man. In films such as this that have become popular in recent years, we mainly see slaves depicted in their conflicts with their owners, with the massa. But rarely do we see the culture and lives they made for themselves despite oppression. Reflecting on slaves' tradition at this time of year is a way for us to honor their strength and ingenuity despite inhumane circumstances. Here is how our ancestors, through acts such as marriage, use Christmas as a time to fortify our community. It's also a time the day before pre-Kwanzaa, if you will. So many of you are already looking to ways to greater acknowledgement and honor of your ancestors, not only in your daily activities, but particularly today and in the next week moving forward in the holiday season. Christmas time on Southern antebellum plantations for the occasion that slaves look forward to the most. Even while subjected to the evils of slavery and its horrors, blacks managed to find some pockets of joy in the holiday celebration. As former slave Charlie Hurt told federal officials tasked to document his experiences, that was one day on Massa's place when all am happy and forget stay am slaves. 
based on a collection of slave narratives the government collected as part of the Federal Writers Project in the late 1930s. We know that Christmas was observed on nearly all such plantations, with black slaves and white slave owners often celebrating together. And black household servants and field hands were usually given a break from their daily labor, lasting anywhere from two to seven days. Wow. Some have contended the holiday spirit caused slave owners to temporarily treat their slaves with some measure of dignity. The reality is the celebration was used to reinforce paternalism, encourage slave alliance, and provide what Frederick Douglass described as a safety valve to carry off the rebellious spirit of enslaved Humanity. In other words, Christmas was used to keep slaves passive and in check. Despite this, blacks found a way to make this time significant by strengthening communal bonds, reuniting families, and rejuvenating their bodies and spirits from the extremely brutal conditions of slavery. On a typical plantation Christmas, slaves would awake and actually seek out whites because it was customary for all slaves to receive gifts. To get their presents, they played a game called Christmas Gifts. When slaves first encountered whites on this morning, the first to shout Christmas Gifts would be the winner, to which the loser must give a gift. Of course, slaves were always allowed to win too, because whites often refused to accept gifts from them. That would signal some measure of equality and disrupt social order. Later in the morning, many slave-owning families would gather all of their domestic servants and field hands together and pass out presents in a more formal manner. The children would receive candy or hand-me-down toys and sometimes coins were thrown at them. The adults usually received gifts of necessity, such as clothes and shoes to replace their tattered garments. These gifts were how slave owners protected their investment, as proper clothing was better for a slave's health and morale. In many places, slaves that picked the most cotton or had a child were given special gifts as a reward for their increased productivity. These gift-giving rituals served as a reminder to the slaves that their owners were in total control and even their most basic needs were provided at the realm of whites. The facade of cheerful white benevolence, however, would often crack under the temporary challenge of treating slaves like people instead of property. As the Louisiana plantation master Bennett Burroughs wrote in his diary, getting tired of the holidays, Negroes want too much. Christmas was also one of the few times of the year when slaves were allowed to eat a wealth of fresh meats, fruits, and baked goods. Their diet usually consisted of cornmeal and salted meat. 
So the holiday meal was a welcome change that eagerly was anticipated. Plus, slaves were usually permitted to congregate in the house only during holiday season. These large meals with blacks and whites eating in adjacent rooms were often followed by lots of music and dancing. Additionally, slaves were provided with just about all the alcohol they could drink. It is widely thought that was done to keep them inebriated and thus incapable of organizing a revolt. Francis Frederick was an escaped slave who recounted how his master used to force his slaves to drink too much. And then he had them gather around, all of them extremely drunk, and tell them they obviously don't know how to be responsible with their freedom and that they were lucky to have him as a master to keep them from ruining themselves. Christmas was also used to ensure slaves accepted the version of Christianity, their master's practice. Religion was used as a tool to keep slaves complacent and to convey the notion that God approved of their condition. But in parts of the coastal South, many slaves broke away from the the Christian tradition and engaged in festivities with the roots from their West African heritage in a celebration called John Kennering or John Connering, K-U-N-E-R-I-N-G, Connering. The primary element of the John Connering ceremony consisted of black men dressed in rags and animal skins, playing instruments, singing, dancing, marching from home to home to perform for masters and overseers. Those who witnessed the show were to reward the men with money and alcohol. The ritual has the same roots as New Orleans' second-line parade and is a precursor to the modern-day performances of black marching bands and the step routines of black fraternities and sororities. But the most significant observance during Christmas was allowing slaves to receive passes to visit their friends and family, husbands, wives, and children. They resided on other plantations. This sort of prolonged interaction, though infrequent, led to an integrated black community that extended far beyond individual plantations. This familial and social contact proved to be an important aspect of the subsistence that allowed blacks to survive slavery. And I believe it was probably best dramatized, for better words, in The Color Purple when they brought Sophia home from from the white woman to spend time with her family. And the white woman couldn't drive the car and so she basically guilted and then forced uh, uh, Sophia to return home without spending any time with her family. Christmas time was one of the few periods when marriages were possible and allowed, although not legally binding. Understand, marriage was not legal in the antebellum South among blacks. 
As such, it became a celebration of more than just gifts and food, but a sort of renewal of the human bonds of unity that slavery attempted to strip from blacks. Many whites attended these slave marriages, but some couldn't stand the sight of people they owned under law pretending to be civilized. Christmas on the plantation was a time of brief, if incomplete, relief from slavery for many blacks. But underneath the seemingly kind gestures from slave masters were actions that actually served to strengthen the institution of slavery and maintain owners' power over blacks. In spite of this, slaves managed to co-opt the holiday to renew their bonds to one another as a way of overcoming the humanization of society. And for their example, we see the truest illustration of the Christmas spirit. May it be alive and well with you as you gather and make merry and revivify your family and social bounds for this holiday season. Tomorrow will be the first day of Kwanzaa, and we spent last week talking about not only the principles of Kwanzaa, but the seven symbols of Kwanzaa. And so today I wanted to just focus on slavery and slave Christmas among African Americans because sometimes I think we forget and it shows up in our uh, seven deadly sins that we talked about on yesterday that often contain chains that bind us even the more to the virtual reality of slavery. Slavery in the U.S. can be traced back to the early 17th century, and although some of these colonial-era slaves included Native Americans and poor Europeans, the vast majority of people subjected to slavery in America were of African descent. And slavery never became as popular in the northern states as it did in the southern states. But by the 1830s, the northern states had all but eliminated slavery, though it was still legal throughout the South. And slavery in the southern United States ended with the close of the American Civil War in 1865. So how did slaves celebrate Christmas? Though many belonged to well-to-do families, they themselves were poor, and shared only a small fraction of the family's lavish festivals. Many, but not all, slave owners granted their slaves a day or more of rest at Christmas time. Some also provided them with ample amounts of food, including the better cuts of the meat, a form of nourishment that some scholars believe they rarely enjoyed during the rest of the year. And some also distributed passes to certain slaves, permitting them to visit relatives who lived in different places. Slaves relished these simple Christmas pleasures, activities that many slave owners took for granted the year round. 
many slave owners gave their slaves three days off at Christmas time. Some permitted fewer or no days of rest, and others allowed more than three days. On some plantations, slaves were authorized to select a yule log to burn in the main fireplace of the manor house. The slave's holiday lasted as long as the log burned. Naturally, the slaves sent to fetch the yule log from the woods exercised a great deal of care in choosing what he hoped would be a very slow-burning log. In this way, the Christmas holiday could be extended to New Year's Day. Every slave got to rest at Christmas time. Since slave-only families sometimes hosted elaborate Christmas dinners and parties, slaves who worked as household servants often found their workload increased at Christmas time. What's more, slaves could not count on time off at Christmas, since the master could always cancel their holiday. Indeed, some slave owners withheld the privilege of celebrating Christmas from slaves who had displeased them during the year. Most plantation slaves passed their Christmas holiday by taking part in some or all of the feasting, singing, dancing, music-making, and storytelling that characterized Christmas in the slave quarters. Some slaves took advantage of the time off to hold quilting beads. Many of the quilts they made featured the color red, a favorite shade for many slaves. Both slave men and women participated in the craft of quilting. Other handicrafts were also produced and sold at Christmas time because in many areas, custom permitted slaves to keep all the money they earned during the Christmas holiday. The rest of the year, any money they earned belonged to their masters. Some slaves may have devoted time to a more dangerous holiday hobby, studying. Studying was dangerous because many southern states had strict laws forbidding the education of slaves. Some slaves never quite got enough to eat throughout the year. Rich, sustaining, and especially tasty foods like choice cuts on meat, butter, eggs, and sugar almost never appeared on slaves' tables. Since most masters gave their slaves extra rations of high-quality food at Christmas time, the holiday not only represented a mouth-watering chance for slaves to eat their fill, but also afforded them an opportunity to savor some of the tasty food that their master enjoyed year-round. At Christmas time, slaves might dine on a combination of meats, including roast chicken, ham, pickled pig feet, squirrel, or possum. Side dishes might include squash, greens cooked with ham hocks, salad greens and eggs, or ash cakes, which were boiled cornmeal sweetened with molasses and wrapped cabbage leaves to bake. For dessert, some slaves baked a cake or made sweet potato pie. On some plantations, the mistress prepared a large Christian banquet, which the master and mistress served to their slaves. Um, Another common holiday food and something that I remember still surviving even into the 1970s in the back of the world. 
Cotton John. Um, many of these Christmas feasts included homemade wine or generous servings of the master's own liquor. This policy made these Christmas feasts, including homemade wine, I'm sorry, this policy um, often resulted in drunkenness as slaves were not permitted to drink at any other time of the year and thus were unaccustomed to the American Former slave and abolitionist Frederick Douglass, uh, who lived from 1817 to 1895, believed that many slave owners promoted this drunkenness as a means of discouraging slaves from seeking their own freedom. After the holidays were over, slave owners suggested to the slaves that if freed, they would quickly slip into a life of laziness and alcoholic overindulgence. They pointed to the slaves' recent excess at these holiday events as evidence for their argument. Slaves could never count on keeping their families together. And sometimes a master would sell a husband away from a wife or a child away from his or her parents. Nevertheless, some slave owners permitted slaves to visit nearby relatives at Christmas time. And on Christmas Eve, the master distributed passes permitting certain individuals to travel. Slaves welcomed the visitors warmly. Even if not a relative, the visitor would bring news from another part of the country and perhaps greetings from a relative. Slaves looked forward to these Christmas visits all year round. Nevertheless, this privilege could be withheld from slaves who displeased their masters at any time. And Christmas was a popular time for slaves to marry. The joyous family reunions and rowdy revelry that characterized the big times as slaves sometimes referred to the Christmas holidays inspired an increased number of romantic encounters leading to marriage. Many slave owners gave gifts to their slaves at Christmas time. Typical gifts included hats, hair ribbons, tobacco, sugar, bananas, collars, or coins. In addition, the master often offered a Christmas gift, things he would have to supply to the slave anyway, such as warm clothing and shoes. Some wealthy plantation owners furnish slaves with gifts of money at Christmas time. They might also present them with the means to prepare a, a scrumptious banquet, offering them such luxury foodstuffs as beef, chicken, turkey, pork, duck, apples, oranges, cakes, pies, and biscuits. Plantation slaves sometimes had to make a formal visit to the big house, the manor house, to receive these gifts. Many never entered the mansion during the rest of the year. They arrived dressed in their best clothing to perform the little ritual surrounding the Christmas gift giving. Along with his gifts, the master offered Christmas greetings to the slaves, wishing each of them happy holidays. And sometimes he gave them a glass of eggnog and proposed a toast. Upon receiving his or her gift, the slave would extend Christmas greetings and 
good wishes to the master and his family. And sometimes the slaves would collectively present the master or mistress with a token gift, such as a homemade basket or a clutch of eggs. At other plantations, the slaves did not receive their gifts in the big house. Instead, the master and mistress visited the slaves in the quarters to watch them sing and dance and to present them with gifts. Sometimes the white folks joined for a while in the slaves' festivities. On Christmas Day, custom permitted slaves to ask a Christmas gift of any white person they saw. All they had to do was to approach them and shout out Christmas gifts because the white person could speak to them. I'm sorry. Uh, all they had to do was to approach them and shout out Christmas gifts before the white person could speak to them. Slave owners who considered themselves good-natured let themselves be bested and stocked up on coins, sweets, trinkets to give away in this little game. In spite of their poverty, slave parents often gave their children the most Christmas gifts. These gifts consisted of things like homemade baskets, hats, aprons, or strip quilt. Temporarily relieved from the daily routine of hard work, plantation slaves celebrated by making music and dancing. Some records indicated that these Christmas Eve and Christmas Day revels lasted most of the night. Slave musicians played music, kind of instruments they could get their hands on, including homemade drums, pipes, fiddles, and banjos. Those who could not find or play musical instruments could sing songs to entertain one another to accompany instrumental music. In some parts of the South, slaves practiced a Christmas masquerade known as Junkanoo. Junkanoo. And we're going to talk more about Junkanoo. Junkanoo has a West African origin. Men dressed in tatted makeshift costumes and masks. Thus attired, they rambled from house to house playing music and dancing. Households gave them coins and trinkets to exchange for their entertainment. Slaves also sang religious music at Christmas time. In fact, African-American slaves developed their own style of religious music known as spirituals. And some well-known spirituals retell elements of the Christmas story. These include Mary had a baby, don't tell it on the mountain, rise up, shepherd, and follow. The sister Mary had about one child, and behold, that star. I've also done previous shows where we talked about encoding enslaved uh, stories as well as slave uh, songs and spirituals. Codes that spoke to escape the Underground Railroad and, and freedom and the warning of those who might be in danger of being found out while these gatherings were taking place. Slaves attended 
religious services and gather together to pray at Christmas time, conservative Christian denominations such as Baptists and Methodists, which forbade dancing. These people would avoid the Christmas parties and instead organize prayer meetings. Some of the meetings lasted for hours. Others lasted all night, uh, referred to as Terry service, T-A-R-R-Y, Terry service, meaning to wait. Christmas was a popular time of year to run away from one's master and to seek freedom in the north. Slaves reasoned that they were likely to be missed at home or apprehended on the roads at Christmas time than at any other time of the year. They would not be expected to show up for daily chores until after the holidays. And furthermore, whites were accustomed to seeing many blacks uh, wayfarers on the streets and byways during the holiday season. The liberties allowed slaves at Christmas time may have also inspired a number of slave revolts. One historian has estimated that approximately one-third of both documented and rumored slave rebellions occurred around Christmas. And in the year 1856, slave revolts occurred in nearly every slaveholding state at Christmas time. Throughout the South, both white and black children were told that Gabriel, the angel, sprinkled stardust on the earth in early winter. It turned into the first frost of the season as it hit the ground. Its sprinkling beauty served to remind children of the coming of the Christ child. Slaves also passed along bits of old European Christian lore, such as the belief that angels, I'm sorry, such as the belief that animals gained the power of human speech on Christmas Eve. There were many nativity legends that existed among the slaves during antebellum South. If one crept quietly into the barn at just the right moment, one might overhear the the animals murmur praises to God and the baby Jesus. And nonetheless, to do so would bring a mountain of bad luck down on one's head. The voodoo was still present. It was still very real. Some plantation slaves celebrated New Year's Day with a cakewalk, also referred to as the Mummers Parade. And this competitive dance, couples stepped side by side, moving along the dance floor in the form of a square. Their exaggerated movements amplified and made fun of the formal dances popular among white folks. The couple who exhibited the fanciest moves won a cake. Southern slaves and their masters shared certain New Year's Day superstitions. Many believed that consuming a dish called Hoppin' John made from black-eyed peas and ham hocks brought good luck for the coming year. Another popular belief included the notion that to argue on New Year's Day meant that one would be drawn into arguments throughout the coming year. Many invoked the superstition that to cut one's hair on New Year's Day was to divide one's wealth into two. Others held to the belief that to borrow or lend 
anything on New Year's Day would bring bad luck for the rest of the year. The worst luck a slave could encounter on New Year's Day was to be separated from a close family member through work contracts arranged by the master. Those hired out to work for the year on other plantations left on New Year's Day. For this reason, slaves sometimes called January 1st Heartbreak Day. On January 1st, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln, who lived from 1809 to 1865, signed the Emancipation Proclamation into law, granting immediate freedom to slaves in the southern states. This event is still celebrated as Emancipation Day in some African-American communities and the last day of, of Kwanzaa, Imani faith, is celebrated on January 1st, Nation Day. Also, a, a well-known, well, maybe it's not so much well-known anymore, who do uh, New Year's Day custom is that a man must enter your house first in order to bring luck, wealth, and prosperity and health into the household for the year. Um, and it must be a man who enters and walks through your house on New Year's Day. In addition to all the other deprivations experienced year-round by African slaves, they were also subject to unusual kinds of psychological pressures at Christmas time. These pressures resulted from the role that Christmas played in justifying the institution of human slavery to slave owners. For example, the slaves' own joy could be used against them since some slave owners pointed to the happy Christmas celebrations of their slaves to justify the institution of slavery. Others harpened on their slaves' enjoyment of leisure and alcoholic beverages at Christmas time, suggesting to them that they had a natural inclination towards idleness and drunkenness and laziness and thus were better off as slaves. While slaves ran the risk of inspiring these thoughts in the masters, if they indulged in Christmas pleasures, they skirted other dangers if they refused. The master might view those who grumbled at Christmas time as potential troublemakers who would be watched closely and subject to possible future punishment. As a result, slaves may have felt obligated to appear pleased with the Christmas celebrations allotted to them, even when they were in fact unhappy. Some masters cynically promoted slave Christmas celebrations, believing that this once yearly binge relieved just enough suffering and want to prevent slaves from openly rebelling against their inferior status. Others may have less aware of the possibility that the simple pleasures they afforded their slaves at Christmas time played a role in the preservation of slavery. In spite of all the pressures and deprivations that our ancestors were subject to, African-American slaves wrestled some degree of holiday spirit out of the foods 
and freedoms allowed them at this time of year, rising above their enslaved circumstances. They contributed a number of beautiful spirituals to the American repertoire of Christmas carols. Our Christmas celebrations today are still richer because of the African-American experience. Dash of cayenne to the...